Hey there, I'm Frida, your host for Make News Newer. We invite young people and give them a platform to analyze the critical things that matter to us. Today's show brings Fanfei, a social science enthusiast. We'll be talking about a crime recently committed by a Hong Kong artist here in Ontario. Let's dive into it. So Fanfei, could you provide me with some background information of the crime? Thank you, Frida. Yes. In May 2019, the Ontario Superior Court convicted Shaw Rutenberg from Thor Hill in the GTA for belting his partner Victoria Smith of $585,000. This is a case of romantic major fraud. And the history, the two had met on the eHarmony dating site in July 2013. During the span of the relationship, Rutenberg disguised himself as a successful financier named Sean Rothberg. The victim, Smith, reported the case to the police when she accidentally discovered Rutenberg's real identity and that he was actually defrauding Smith as well as another woman, Dr. Kane Baker, at the same time. To Smith, Rutenberg has abused what she thought was a close, shared and monogamous 18-month relationship for fraud and stealing. That's an interesting crime, Fanfei taking in that it involves both emotional and financial factors. So what do you think might have been in Rutenberg's mind for committing such a serious fraud? The motive of the perpetrator was to utilize the victim's romantic feelings for his own material benefits. This would be concluded as Rutenberg has used the money that Smith trusted him with for a new BMW and to pay off gambling and other debts. Oh, so for his own deeds. These types of crime, balking one's partner for reasons like gambling, seems to become more and more common, isn't it? That's right, Frida. So which category do you believe this crime would fit into, Fanfei? Well, generally speaking, Crime is divided into crimes against person, property, or victimless crimes. The case involves both romantic and financial fraud, so I'll analyze from both points. A romantic fraud fits into the category of crime against a person. This was true in this crime as the perpetrator's long-term dishonesty behavior caused emotional and physical harm to the victim. The victim, Smith, has declared that the perpetrator has led to her suicidal thoughts. Considering that this case is a major fraud and that Rutenberg's deception was intended to result in financial and personal gain by stealing money, it should also be considered as crime against property. He belted Smith of her entire life savings. Not to mention the financial and workplace defrauding he had caused on the actor victim, Dr. Kim. Wow, that's absolutely true. Since you have studied social sciences, you are able to see the crime through different lenses, so there isn't just one possibility. Um, could you give us some social science insights? For instance, what questions might social scientists ask to better understand the situation? Thank you, Frida. I'll start with the three disciplines outlined in social sciences, which are sociology, anthropology, and psychology. I will view this crime specifically through the lens of psychology, which is the study of an individual's mind and behavior. 
First of all, the perpetrator's background could be analyzed so we can interpret his mentality behind this crime. A psychologist could question what might have led to Rosenberg's dishonesty. To answer this, important factors should be taken into account. This includes, firstly, Rutenberg was from a affluent family, and secondly, he has previous criminal records of serious fraudity and impersonating his own brother, who is a respected doctor, and thirdly, having spent jail time. From this, we understand that Rutenberg's criminal intentions are long-term and have a specific pattern around fraudity. Finally, the psychological lens lets us question why the perpetrator chooses to repeat the crime of defrauding again and again, potentially because he's still involved in vaguer activities like gambling and has a high desire for luxury objects. They have possibly became his prolonged and addictive habits. So for social scientists, especially psychologists, it's very important to take into what might have influenced the perpetrator and decisions. Wow, that really got me to thinking since he's been previously convicted for the same crime. Definitely psychology allows us to study the perpetrator's motivations and what has impacted him in the past and in his life. I'm also curious because social sciences are made up of many different theories. Could you elaborate on the crime from this angle? Of course, I'm taking a course that lets students investigate social change. Actually, crime links directly to change. Because when a crime happens, especially if it's a shocking or odd one, it usually inspires us to reconstruct our thinking and the laws in order to make the world more accepting and to prevent future crimes. Or to think about the specific situations, such as how to deal with pre-convicted criminals. The intersectionality theory applies more to this specific case of crime as compared to others. The intersectionality theory recognizes that certain individuals face multiple and intersecting forms of structural discrimination. Discrimination is apparent in this crime. The perpetrator took advantage of the two victims, Dr. Kim and Smith, by controlling and increasing the discriminations that they were or were potentially facing from him and the society. Specifically, they are the victim's gender, family status, and occupations. So first of all, gender. Both victims are female. Gender stereotypes regarding romantic relationships definitely play a role in this crime. Since the partners invest in the relationship disproportionately, disproportionately the female puts much more into it, yet the male spends all the financial resources on himself and hides the truth from his partners. This further indicates that the perpetrator has exercised control on female economic independence. Second of all, family status. This specifically applies to Smith, who was a divorced mother of two when she first met Rutenberg which he could easily take advantage of her psychological aspect of wanting to find a man who has matured financial perspectives. And that's why Rutenberg um, faked as a man like this. Thirdly, occupations and financial abilities. Rutenberg, after being hired by Dr. Kim, who was at the time a medical officer of health, so Rutenberg was hired as an interim 
chief financial officer of the unit. And then started to take advantage of Dr. Kim's income, workplace, and position. Thank you very much. Now it's time to answer your letters. So, Fanfei, we have a few questions that the audience is curious about. The first question is from L in Paris, Ontario. He wants to ask Do you believe that this crime demonstrates deviant behavior? Yes, absolutely. This crime is an example of deviant behavior. Specifically, it's a bad behavior deviance, as the perpetrator breaks the social norms regarding relationships, honesty through cheating, and loyalty by covering her real identity and stealing money. The perpetrator's actions also violate the financial independence of his partners, which is normally respected between a couple. This crime is also an example of second deviance, as the perpetrator has already been previously convicted twice for fraudity, and yet chooses to commit a similar crime again. Thank you very much, Fanfei. The next question is from Chrysilla in Brampton, and she wants to discuss the legal consequences assigned to Rutenberg. He has received a six-year sentence and imposed a fine of $558,456 that he stole to be reduced by any amount he repays Smith, and he must repay her within the five years of his release or be sent back to prison for another four years. He was also barred from having any control of other people's property or finances. So Fanfei, do you believe that these consequences were appropriate to the crime? And will these consequences deter similar crimes in the future? Yes, this crime is a major fraud and therefore deserves a punishment of this degree, especially since the perpetrator has not shown evidence of remorse after being released. I believe a fine of the same amount is already tolerant, plus jail time of six years, although it is long, but appropriate according to the damage of the fraud. It will serve as a righteous punishment as it proves that the law fosters accuracy and justice paying money for financial crime, and spending jail time for personal and societal harm. It will deter future crime, and that's why the punishments of this extent were set up. As Prosecutor Michelle said, major fraud is also a crime that affects society more broadly, and that the court recognized the need to deter and denounce this conduct. Therefore, it is suitable. Thank you, Fanfic. So what consequence would be necessary to ensure that this crime never occurred again, in your opinion? Well, I believe that a suitable punishment should be the one that make the appropriator and society realize that this crime is not only an act of fraudity, but of dishonesty in relationships, abuse of one's feelings, and discriminations. This could be carried out in the six years of sentencing. But I personally believe awareness about the consequence of romantic slash major fraudity crimes need to be acknowledged more widely, not just in the court, but also around the community. Additionally, the justice system can use this criminal example to deter future rom-com crimes. Well, we've got a lot of questions today. Next one is from Raj in London, Ontario. He wanted to ask, is there anything about the situation that would not constitute criminal activity? Taking into account um, the information we have from the court, the prosecutors and victims, well, I'd say no. 
And I have to emphasize that it is right for the law to constitute this situation as a crime, despite the fact that the fraudity stemmed from a personal relationship. Because in some countries, the court system will not constitute crimes if it's related to relationships. Therefore, it is important to be aware that crime could hide beside the facade of daily social components, like in this situation, Belkin and using his partner's money. Being able to constitute personal crimes when it's necessary can make the justice system trustworthy to the public and ensure social equilibrium and satisfaction. Your points about being aware of personal crime and how different justice system works are amazing. But it must be kind of frustrating to live in a place where your rights can't get justified through the law. That's right, Frida. But I'm glad we're getting into an amazing discussion here. I really like the questions the audience is asking. Yes, that's right. I'll close up with our last question of the day. It's Mary Kitt from Lakehead, Ontario. She's asking, you've mentioned you're studying changes in society. So do you think this incident caused any lasting social change or could and should it have? Thank you, Frida and Mary Kitt. Like I've mentioned earlier, when crime invokes intense reactions, it inspires us to think and change. So it really began from thinking, and there are many points to elaborate on in this case. First of all, about technology ethics. Since um, Smith was belked, but before that, the two had met on an e-dating side. So the audience should reconsider the risk of online relationship sites. Is it really worth it uh, for the potential danger of being impersonated? Second of all, public perception of romantic relationship fraud. We've seen gender discriminations since the victims are female and they were both taken advantage of. The public would reconsider if one were to commit to a new partner after ending a previous relationship, and if so, how much trust should they put into the new partner? Finally, change could start from thinking about financial independence. Thirdly, the perpetrator himself really had the let me think. The judge described him as cold and calculating in his dishonesty for abusing his victim's romantic feelings. And he does not in the least regret what he has done. That's what the judge had said. He has been unimpeded by the constraints of the law. The perpetrator having three past convictions was a shocking fact to me. We can start changes by questioning why did he commit the crime again? And what could have been done to make sure he does not repeat the crime? What could make one be more aware of criminal law regarding major fraud is the first step to start. This includes previous offenders. One solution is to provide um, consequences and to make known the deterrence of major fraud. The judge has ensured heavy punishments of the law to create social and criminal awareness for a case like this. But what else? Perhaps change is necessary in leading rehabilitation centers for previous offenders or increasing public awareness. Wow, that was a great discussion, Fanfei. Thank you for inviting me here, Frida. 
that's all about the youth perspective and also social science. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Frida. Yes, it's so important to analyze recent crimes because fraudy is becoming more and more popular as the internet is evolving. And things also to consider about is relationships and how to see crime with a social perspective and how to prevent future crimes from occurring. That's right. Well, we'll look forward to the next episode. And thank you for coming again, Fanfei. Thank you, Frida. And thank you, everyone. Goodbye.